Josh Moon, uh, the uh, other co-host of this fine program, is David Person. I, I, I'm not. I'm not introducing yeah. you anymore. So yeah, I know. You've I'm been. just happy to have you. Just happy to have you, especially <laughs> after last week. Uh, it's. Uh, <laughs> you were it's, chastised by some people, and I know. Yeah. I know. Apparently, I don't give away enough swag or free food. Uh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> uh, oh well. Uh, but we do have a good show. Uh, Dexter Grimsley is uh, going to uh, join us this week and uh, and talk about the issues within the House of Representatives for this fine state. Um, and uh, we're gonna we got a whole uh, whole slew of things to discuss. Um, uh, we're gonna start with gambling. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, uh, I've written a couple of columns about it this week. Uh, I don't know if you call them columns or more analysis pieces than anything else, uh, but they did contain my opinion. So uh, mm-hmm. we'll call them columns. Um, and, um, you know, I, we're, we're, uh, <laughs> uh, my, one of my favorite people I ever covered, uh, was, uh, LC Cole as a head coach at Alabama state. Uh, and, uh, our, the, at one point while he was the uh, head coach there, they fired an AD and then rehired an AD they'd had in the past. LC <laughs> Cole coined the phrase out with the old in with the old. Uh, and so, uh, and so that's essentially what we've got here with this, uh, with this gambling bill. Um, and yeah, because it's basically the same bill, uh, that they tried to pass last year. Mm. Um, it's, it, it establishes five casinos, four at the, uh, dog tracks that are currently operational. And then a fifth location in Northeast Alabama, either be in DeKalb or, uh, Jackson counties. Uh, we'll see who, who wants it. Um, and, uh, then you have two satellite locations that only offer a limited number of electronic games and lounges in Houston County. Um, and then you'll have a statewide lottery. Uh, you'll have sports gaming. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's your basic gambling bill. That's pretty common around states that have gambling. Uh, you know, it's, it's not anything off the hook, uh, you know, really, really that different than, than a lot of other states. I mean, there, and, uh, and you have the same arguments. It's honest to God, it's like uh, Groundhog's Day. Uh, when they introduced the bill, all the same people got up to talk against it. All the same people got up to talk for it. Uh, and they were all talking about the same things. Um, and uh, if it goes to the floor, it's got votes to pass in both houses. It, and and it's by not a really close uh, margin at this point. It's, uh, you know, the uh, the final vote totals will probably look a little closer. Uh, but it's only because some people just don't want to vote for it. They would if they had to, um, and they just don't want it on their record. Uh, although I don't understand why you wouldn't want it on your record. To me, I mean, I, and I wrote a column about this this week. We've got gambling every damn where here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, I, I just I so I don't I don't know why at this point you you wouldn't it wouldn't be appealing to the average person to say okay. Come in and let's figure out a way to clean this up in some form or fashion. Take the revenue from it that we're losing. Uh, also give, oh, by the way, give us 12,000 permanent jobs 
or, or more. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen some estimates up to 19,000 permanent jobs for these casinos, which is just off. I mean, imagine, imagine a, a car manufacturer coming to this state and saying, we're going to bring 19,000 jobs with us. Do you know yeah. what we would give them? Everything. You know, we would give them everything, everything. we got here. Yeah. But in this case, they're going to bring 19,000 jobs and then they're going to give us a billion dollars a year. Uh, on top of that, you know, so it, the the economic impact of this thing is just incredibly huge. Um, and I, I, so I, I mean, maybe I've been in this too long, David. Maybe you can maybe you're, you look at it from an outsider's perspective, because I know you're not you're not a big gambling guy and you're not following the gambling fights like I have over the last you know several years. So, I mean, is what I'm saying insane or no. is it lost? Well, no. And and I guess I need to start by saying, um, you know, I wasn't even aware, you know, when I first got to Alabama in the very early 1980s, 1981 to be specific, I thought there wasn't any gambling in the state at all. It It was probably it was more than probably more than 10 or 15 years until I realized, wait a minute, there is gambling here. And and I say that because the mantra was always gambling is illegal, gambling is illegal. And then I began to realize, well, okay, we've got Indian casinos. Didn't realize how many we had, but started to realize we had Indian casinos. Started to realize we had selective areas, had horse tracks. Mm-hmm. And then you start to realize, well, what? What are people talking about? Of course, there's, there's gambling already here. Now, what we don't have, obviously, is a state lottery. Uh-huh. But if people want to gamble in Alabama, not only can they doing it, they are doing it. Oh, yeah. But what I learned, and, and I learned this courtesy of your late friend, Milton McGregor, when I attended uh, an event that he had um, uh, uh, some 25 plus years ago. Um, was that, um, you know, there were more people spending money, more Alabamians spending money outside of the state on gambling than there were people in the, well, not more, but, but let me, let me rephrase that, that that the Alabamians who were going outside of the state to gamble constituted the second largest group of people gambling in our neighboring states. Mm-hmm. So Tennessee, Florida, uh, Mississippi, and I think Georgia, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I learned that from, uh, from data that Milton McGregor presented to this group. So once I realized that, well, this is a moot. It's a moot point. I mean, what are we arguing about? Let's just go ahead, as you said in your column, which I thought was was well done. You know, let's just go ahead and legalize it. So, as you said, we can derive some tax benefits from it, and so that we can also have money not just to put towards basic uses like education or infrastructure or whatever we deem but also to actually help people that are already being affected by the addiction of gambling. And probably, you know, that'll probably go up, you mm-hmm. know, as gambling is legalized, you know, or, or, or legalized more, uh, you know, more formally and, and more comprehensively. 
But again, what are we talking about? It's already going on. Oh, yeah. You, I mean, there, there are so many forms of gambling available uh, to people in this state. I mean, if you want to place a, a wager on, on a sports you know, game of any sort, you can do that uh, online. Um, you know, if you want to go and play poker, you, there are plenty of places to pay, play poker. Uh, if you want to uh, go and play slot machines, there are all sorts of, of casinos around here that offer electronic bingo, quote unquote, which are essentially, you know, slot machine like. Uh, you know, I understand the, the, the very uh, unique differences in the games, but they're still they're basically slot machines. And um, and we do so at such a rate that, um, you know, at one point, the Port Creek Indians were taking in close to a billion dollars, um, you know, every year. And so uh, through their three facilities, which are located in Atmore, Wetumpka and the outer skirts of Montgomery, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's just uh, I, I, it's just. It's so crazy to me that we we're having this argument at, that that starts with well we don't want gambling in this state you know it's just it's like you're living in a different world or something here and so let's uh, you know let's at least start it a little smarter than uh, you know than we are now um, and I, I don't know man it, it just it bothers me a lot. Uh, to some of the some of the other arguments that that people make against this gaming bill, and uh, you know, one of them being, well, I don't like that you're picking winners and and losers, and and you know, and what that and I wrote a column about this as well, and, and what that essentially means is, in this bill, they place them at the four current dog tracks where there there is class three gaming, paramutual wagering on dog races and horse races is technically class three gaming, the same as table games and uh, real slot machines. Um, And so they're going to put those, uh, the facilities, limit them to those locations. And there are a number of reasons for doing that. Number one, the people in those counties have already voted for and approved uh, of of that type of gambling in their counties. All right. So that makes a big difference. I mean, uh, right now, if you don't do it that way, what's the other fair way to do it? Let's say a a casino from Las Vegas, a casino owner from Las Vegas comes in. Uh, Steve Wynn comes in and wants to build a casino here. And the entire state is open to him. And he wants to, for whatever reason, put it in Coleman County. They don't want it. They don't want that there, all right? And the, the land may be cheaper. It may be easier for him to, to build it there, but they don't want it in that county. So, and, and we would have to go through a whole process of having those voters approve it in that county. So, you know, why, what, are, what are you talking about? The whole state is not open for this. So you have a limited number of places in the state where you can currently place casinos, and they actually want them. Macon County, Greene County, Jefferson County, um, and, it's, and Mobile County right now, we know they want them. And we've had conversations with the people in Jackson and DeKalb counties, and we know that both of those counties up around Fort Payne, they want them. Uh, they would like to have the casino there as well. So, so we have this. We have this opportunity to do these things, and uh, and we already have. This is the other part that bothers me. While while people are screaming about winners and losers, well, imagine you're running a legal business somewhere, which the dog tracks are legal businesses. All right, they we, they've been approved in those counties uh, for for decades and have operated there and have supported the local communities and been the people that that are running them. Everybody knows in town. You know, you know Lewis Benefield and the McGregor family. You know Nat Wynn up uh, in, in uh, Greene County. Uh, you know the Porch Creek Indians down in Mobile. Uh, so we we know these people. We know who they are. We know what they're doing. They're local. They're tied to the local communities. 
Are you saying it's okay to all of a sudden pass a law and put those people out of business? Mm. Just bankrupt them because, you know, a lot of those people have, uh, they, they've borrowed money that they're currently repaying to make improvements to those places. You know, uh, in the case of Victory Land, I know for a fact that Milton McGregor borrowed more than $100 million in order to build the hotels and everything else that went there uh, just you know, to, to build that place up. Even though the hotel is currently not being used, a really nice golden glistening hotel sitting alongside uh, Interstate 85 has never been used. Um, uh, and so it's. Is that OK to do that, to just change the law all of a sudden and say, well, sorry, fellas, you know, walk. Uh, you know, it seems more fair to me that you say, all right, we're going to place them here. And even if somebody else decides it's more lucrative then these folks can afford and they come in and buy the license, at least they will then have to lease the property from those guys who've owned these businesses for so long. And they will not walk away empty handed from this. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that seems fair to me. That's I think that's a fair point. And I also thought about this while I listened to you. The Porch Creek Indians have made major investments in various locations off outside of the reservation, including downtown Huntsville. Yes. Uh, they, they have made major investments. Uh, some of the development that we're seeing happening in downtown Huntsville and also uh, around Redstone Arsenal in Huntsville mm-hmm. uh, comes from Porch Creek Indian money. So we're talking about a nation that is reinvesting in this nation Yes. Uh, in a very significant way. And the reason they're able to do that is because of gambling. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that, that I think about too, Josh, is that um, uh, somebody, uh, I reposted your column on my Facebook page and somebody made, I think, a really interesting point, which is that the same arguments that are being used now regarding gambling are the same arguments that were used in this state in the 1960s related to the legalization of alcohol. Yeah. Now, I, I wasn't here then, so I, I didn't know that. No, I wasn't here per- either. <laughs> <laughs> this person uh, uh, was was here and does uh-huh. know that uh, because they're a native Alabamian, grew up here and, and considerably older than both of us. And I thought, what a great point. So you know, which which I interpreted to mean this. Uh, we have survived despite, you know, whatever uh, back uh, fallout there was in terms of maybe more people becoming addicted to alcohol or whatever. The bottom line is we have survived it as a state. It wasn't the ruin of Alabama mm-hmm. that, that alcohol was legalized. And, and we know just like everywhere else, you know, alcohol was already being consumed anyway. Right. I mean, I still, I still know people that have talked about buying moonshine, and it's like, <laughs> but it's yeah. legal. Hey, every now and then you you'll see moonshine. Yeah, that's yeah, what every they now and then you'll see somebody that gets busted for having a steal, and I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> I mean, first of all, why do you have the steal? And secondly, why are we arresting people for having a steal? Let yeah, them cook, this? man. Is Let this them cook. The Andy Griffith show. I mean, yeah, what, I what's going on here? I mean, jubal, jubal, jubal. I mean, it's. I mean, I don't understand, man. It's a. Uh, I, I don't. Care. It, I, I know exactly what you mean, and I've used the. Actually, I've used the alcohol argument. In, in a number of columns because there's this argument going 
point around that some of these dog tracks have operated illegal games in the past uh, and by operating electronic bingo, which the Porch Creek Indians also operate in their casinos. Um, you know, and I've said that's nonsense. Uh, and I don't care what the Alabama Supreme Court says, because that court is so compromised at this point that you can't trust anything that they do. Uh, I care a lot more about lower courts uh, that have always, always, always sided with the casinos on this issue. And that's to say that electronic bingo was authorized through constitutional amendments that were voted on by the people of those counties. Uh, in the in the instance of Victory Land, for example, uh, when they passed this uh, constitutional amendment that allowed for uh, for bingo to be played at, at that facility, um, they the the things that went around were actually uh, they were drawing pictures of the sl- of the slot machine like electronic bingo machines that were going to be there and they called it a Las Vegas style gaming uh, on all well that was the entire debate all of the ads and everything that went into this were all talking about this and so you know you're basically saying that these people who voted on this the same as they vote on alcohol uh, sales in the county they don't. They don't know enough to know what they voted on, mm-hmm. and it's it's ridiculous. It's nonsense. I mean, it's like coming in on top of these people who voted for alcohol and saying, "Well, you you, you approved liquor sales, but really, we're just going to give you beer." You know, I mean, it's just you know, I, I, it's it's so arbitrary and, and dumb, and completely against the the overall laws of this nation and of this state in particular uh, in which we we set constitutional amendments as the end all be all of absolute law that we have here and so it's just I, you know, I, I just have a problem with the whole thing and I, I have a real problem. Let me tell you one of the biggest problems I have is is that for some reason today we treat gaming establishments, uh, casinos, however you want to term it as something other than legitimate business. And that's all it is, is a legitimate business. They're offering a service that people like to play. They like to take part of. Do some people become uh, addicted to these things and does it cause problems? Certainly it does, just like any number of other things out there that people Mm -hmm. become addicted to and they cause problems. And yet, for some reason, we still think of them as legitimate businesses. We think of bars and restaurants and package stores and ABC stores as all legitimate business, the same as casinos. Well, we could even go a step further and say we're not closing down grocery stores because of of all of the thousands, uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of Alabamians that have contracted diabetes because of all the donuts, cookies, and That's ice a cream. fantastic point. Yeah, I mean, my God. I mean, well, we ain't closing down Applebee's because they keep right. serving up those Sundays. You right. know, I mean, but there's, just... one, there's one other point I want to make before we run out of time on this. We know for a fact that, um, you know, this the location of these casinos in some of these black belt counties could be transformative. Yes. The economic impact would be astounding again, because of the, as you pointed out in your column, the number of jobs, the thousands of jobs that would be, that would be created in these counties. Uh, the, the secondary level jobs due to construction and other services that would be connected. It could be transformative. I was in Lowndes County this past weekend. Mm -hmm. I was there with the EPA Administrator Michael Regan, uh, who is, uh, you know, uh, uh, federal, the highest federal official in the EPA and USDA officials with our friend Catherine Flowers was down there. 
And, and you know, going through Lowndes County, the living conditions, you know, and this was, and, you know, we had, an, we had a story on uh, APR about this and other, other uh, news outlets in the state. The conditions, my God, that many people are living in, believe me, this could be transformative for those communities. And, and what we would probably also see, I'm, I'm guessing, is not just an, NT, an uptick, uh, a dramatic uptick in the quality of life that many people would experience. But I have a feeling that some other things would turn around, too, like uh, the, the, the level of education and some other things just because of the economic impact. Yeah. So there are a lot of good reasons to do this. And there's no legitimate bad reason not to, again, when you consider that it's already here. So yeah. why not, instead of just letting this lion roam, you know, freely of its own accord throughout the state, let's wrangle that sucker down and put it to use. <laughs> let's wrangle that sucker down and put it to use is a phrase I'm going to be using from now on. I can tell you that. Uh, <laughs> I was off the dome. That's always the best kind. That's always the best kind. It's a, no, you, but you're hundred percent right. You're hundred percent right. It, and that's something that I think also needs to be taken into account. You're talking about, especially when you talk about picking winners and losers. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you're 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 placing these uh, casinos in places that are that that need them. First of all, they're already successful places. Okay, um, and. You know, the the Victory Land is in a location that is just uh, works. It just, you know, it's sitting on 85 right there where it is. It just works where it is. And uh, the one, uh, the Birmingham Race Course off of 459, it works. Uh, the one in Mobile works. You know, Green County is a little out of the way. Uh, but it is uh, an industry in West Alabama that where there's nothing. You know, and, and so you, you need those jobs and, the, and those things over there. And, and you know, there, <laughs> there was some talk. Uh, one of the things that, um, uh, that the Democrats in Alabama wanted out of this bill, uh, one of the things they wanted included was uh, uh, some clause in there about, you know, making sure that uh, there were enough minority hires. Uh, in this and using minority vendors. And the guys that own the, the tracks were like, well, we we put it in there, fine. But I mean, what we're already doing uh, so far exceeds what you're asking for. It's just ridiculous, you know. I mean, we we've uh, we hire probably a, a higher number, uh, higher greater percentage of minority contractors and workers uh, than any other industry in this state. And and that's you know, and a lot of that comes from the locations where they are. And uh, and you're right, it is a it's a tremendous point to be made about this. And look, uh, you know, nobody's sitting here with some Pollyannish view of this and not thinking that there's going to be some problems that, that come up with gambling and things like that. I, everybody knows what the problems are at this point. You know, everybody knows what the problems are with every industry that comes around at this point. But when you look at it and you see that it's been done and is being done in so many other states successfully uh, and and with very few problems, and the problems that they do have, they can manage because they have the revenue uh, to do so. Then it those things sort of become foolish to for us to keep holding on to, and, instead of 
simply accepting the reality of the fact that gambling is already in this state to such a degree that you can't escape it. And the fact that we're losing out on a billion dollars that could be transformative for thousands of people, not only in the jobs that are created, but in the scholarship opportunities that would come from a statewide lottery and, uh, you know, in the infrastructure that could come from uh, from this gambling bill. And I, to me, it's just it's idiotic for us to keep doing this dance, because let me tell you something. It's the dance that benefits a select few people. OK, this dance that we keep having benefits these lobbyists and these attorneys and these folks, uh, uh, lawmakers who, let me tell you something, there's a real reason why some of these lawmakers uh, don't want this, because they know in the bill, part of that bill is, is that there are no more contributions from gambling interests going into those campaign accounts. Mm. So that's mm. part of the problem here, I, I suspect, on why they don't want some of this to go through. But, you know, I, I just, it, it's idiotic. for uh, And it, one last point. One last point, and we'll get out of here. This is not approving gambling, okay? This bill does not approve gambling. What this bill does is approve a ballot initiative that allows you to vote on this and whether or not you want this to be in our state. And if you don't want it to be in our state, then you can go to the polls and vote against it. And if the majority wins, then we won't have any of this stuff in our state. Yeah, we'll, but we'll, but we will still have what's already here, yeah, right? I mean, we will. The casinos that are here aren't going anywhere. Nope. You know, so it's just dumb not to go ahead and do it because we'll still have gambling in this state. We'll just still many people will still be deluded into thinking that we won't have it when we yeah. still will. Yeah, and and you know, and and I won't be able to go participate in a poker tournament. I'll have to go out of state still, which is really stupid and inconvenient for me. Thank you. I st- <laughs> you do seem kind of snippy about that. <laughs> I still need to, and hopefully I'll do that this year. I want to go to that beautiful, uh, and I never remember where it is, but there's a beautiful casino that I can see from one of those highways. Is it 65 South? Mm-hmm. Atmore. Okay. Yeah, that got, more around the prison down there? Uh, okay, yeah. maybe that's where it is. Mm-hmm. I've got to go. I've got to, I'm going to go there one weekend. You've never been? Gotta, You've never been? You don't have to go that far. Uh, they I've have a, a, a sister location, a twin location in uh, Wetumpka. Um, it's not quite as nice, but it's got, it's really, really nice place. Uh, I mean, they've got a really good restaurant in there. Um, I mean, they've also got another casino over in Montgomery. It's a, it's a lot smaller. Uh, but, uh, I mean, they've got a BB King's restaurant in the one in Montgomery. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's Is that downtown. No, 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 no. It's it's on the outskirts of Montgomery. Uh, it's uh, it's off in a. You, you got to be going there uh, to get oh, there. Okay. Um, okay. And but the one in Wetumpka is is kind of off of two thirty one. Uh, it takes you a little bit to get there. The one in Atmore is right off the interstate. But you know, it's another what two hours or so from Montgomery. So um, is but, that uh, south of Montgomery? Yeah, yeah, south of Montgomery. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. I well, yeah. I need to go to one of them just. Just to say, I've been, I mean, I'm not a gambler. I'm not going to, mm-hmm. you know, if my pastor's listening, hey, I'm not going down there to spend tithe money or yeah. whatever. But, yeah. but you know, I'm just, you know, and I don't know that I'd be doing any gambling of any significance because I'm just not a gambler. But I want to go to say I've had the experience. Yeah, really. I, I don't, uh, I, I've been a few times. Um, I'm, I'm not a big fan of, of slots. 
uh, in any form, electronic bingo or otherwise. I'm just not, that's just not my thing. Um, and so I, you know, I'll go and play sometime if I'm, if I'm around a place, but it's not, you know, I, and I'm talking about, I might spend $50 somewhere, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, and it, that's it. Uh, but I'm more interested in the poker and the, you know, the, the card games, that kind of thing. Uh, that's I like what the I blackjack. I want to play yeah. blackjack. I don't, yeah. I'm not interested in poker. I want to play blackjack. Yeah, they, they go too fast for me, man. You know, they really? go, they go, you know, I don't have time to wish as Bill Cosby <laughs> once said, you know, I, I need time to wish on the card, man. You ain't let me count. I don't even know what you're doing. You're raking my money away. I don't even know what I lost, you know? <laughs> Damn. I was like, well, wait a minute. What happened? He's like, it's 22. I was like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Been doing this a while. <laughs> That's yeah, a well, I think Cosby and one of those uh, one of those old uh, things. He said, "If they ever changed that game to twenty two, I'd own this whole strip." <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's slide out of here. We'll be right back with uh, Representative Dexter Grimsley. Back in a minute. I'm David Person with Alabama Politics This Week. You know you listen to me and Josh every week, and we have a blast as we talk about Alabama politics and culture and as we interview newsmakers and journalists about Alabama politics and culture. Thanks for your support of this great podcast, and I hope that you will continue to not only listen, but to share it with your friends and also give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to it. Thanks a lot. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person, and we are happy now to be joined by Representative Dexter Grimsley. Um, you know, this, and we were just talking. This is, I can't believe it. It's a, his first time on here with us. Um, it's, I, I, I had no idea you were coming in as a rookie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll we're gonna give you all the tough questions then, since uh, we we feel like we, <laughs> you're a rookie here. You'll give us honest answers. Um, yeah. no, it's uh, well, I guess um, uh, just to start when you when you look at this session, and we've seen a, a number of things, uh, and I, you obviously a lot of there's been a lot of Republicans tossing out red meat to their base, um, but when you look at it overall. What what are kind of your overall impressions of this of this session? I mean, do you feel like it's been productive, or do you feel like it's been wasted with a lot of nonsense? Well, Josh, I'm somewhere in between. I remember I was around in 2010 when the red meat really hit the really hit the market, and <laughs> right. so, so you're talking to somebody that's been around with a lot of situations like this. And most amazing thing, what 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 gets me is in these kind of years, Democrats, we really know we don't have a chance to get anything done. Uh, we it's not just a the last year of the quality of venom, but it's also the election year. And that red, red meat going to go out to make sure that everything they want their constituents to know or the people that they're looking for to vote for them are going to be on board to say, well, they did this or they did that. But what I asked the people of the state of Alabama to look at is what have they done for you? I mean, uh, in, the, in the previous years, and I'm glad to have the opportunity to, to, to be here today, but also recognize exactly what you're saying. A lot of those bills that we're passing has no significance at all, really, to, to what the state of Alabama really needs. Yeah. Uh, you know, having having been around like you have, 
and, and seeing that changeover in, in 2010 and, um, you know, and seeing what's transpired since then and knowing exactly what you said is 100 percent true, that there there's nobody, there's no working class person in the state of Alabama that is truly better off because of the Republican policies that have been passed over the last 12 years. Um, is it how frustrating is it, though, to kind of to bang your head against that wall and know that, uh, you know, there, there's so many people that d- are simply not going to vote for you just because they're, they're playing team politics. Yeah. You know, it's kind of depressing. And in most cases, I, I would I would I would dwell on it. But I live, do live in a district that is, is you know, a, a borderline district. And the people here know me real well and they know that. You know, Republican or Democrat, I'm going to work for the people in my district. I'm going to tell the truth. You like it or not, it's just what I, that's who I am. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. We're in, a, we're in a dire situation in the state, and we need to look beyond just the political party and look at what, what needs to be done for the state. Since 2010, we've yelled about Medicaid expansion. We've tried to uh, convince the state that tax on groceries, which now there's a Republican bill instead of a Democrat bill, but it's always been a Democrat bill. And now all of a sudden it's a Republican agenda. And that's something that we've been yelling for years. Uh, some of the stuff we wanted done, we've done. Uh, and of course, it looks like Republicans are doing it. But in, in 2010, Republicans weren't really uh, yelling public education. Now they're, 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 they're screaming public education. They're also screaming private education and charter schools, but they were always we were always yelling public education. We would always yell prison, prison reform. But that's a Democratic uh, uh, campaign theme from the beginning. Now they're involved, involved with that. So I'm not totally disgusted, but I do realize that uh, some of the stuff that is important to the people of Alabama, they are realizing that some of those stuff needs to be addressed. Yeah. It's a shame they have not realized uh, how, how, how much of that has come from the Democratic side. It, it really is. Hmm. Yeah. So, Representative Grimsley, let me first start off by saying uh, I have had the honor of being in your home base, Abbeville. Uh, that is uh, that was the home of uh, uh, a civil rights legend, Reese Taylor, and uh, I actually attended Mrs. Taylor's funeral. I had the honor of interviewing her and her brother, um, uh, Ben. Uh, I'm sorry, not Ben, Robert, uh, Mr. Robert Corbett. Uh, a few years back and um, uh, just what a woman and what a tribute that she um, um, I think offered to the state in her her courage after what she had endured being uh, brutally gang raped back in 1944 people who don't know about Mrs. Taylor should definitely uh, read learn learn about her and read her story um I want to start. I want to start with uh, asking you to tell us and the thousands of people who listen to this podcast what are the biggest needs in the in the in the counties, the region of the state that you represent. What would you say is needed the most that has been lacking uh, because of a lack of support from the state or a lack of understanding? about the needs of your area? Well, I'm glad you asked that. And let me start by saying, first of all, the Reese's Taylor situation, a lot of people don't remember, but in 2010, uh, I have the distinct designation of introducing the legislation for the state to uh, 
apologize to Miss Risa Taylor. I knew the family real well and went to school with some of the family. And when I had an opportunity, I, I jumped on that and did exactly that. And uh, Risa Taylor was a great woman and the uh, community is still, you know, on board with supporting all the stuff that goes on with her heritage and, and her memory. And I just thank you for um, having an opportunity to be here and support that. But also, <clears throat> I don't have to uh, say it loud. It's obvious that Southeast Alabama is uh, one of the areas of the state that's really in a cocoon, ready, ready to explode, ready to blossom. And um, uniquely around the state, you can look at the Mobile area, you can look at the Huntsville area, Birmingham, other areas. And it looks like to me that the state is giving concentration to those areas and to the needs, what, what they need. Southeast Alabama, we, with, with the home of Fort Rooker down here, uh, we have uh, rural land that's ready to be developed. Uh, we have areas of the state and people willing to get on board and do some stuff. And I don't know what the situation is or how much louder we can yell. But luckily, as of late, we have all the communities and cities and counties who are now regionalizing and realizing that it, it takes a regional approach in order to get those done. And I think that in the next couple of years, as we continue to work together, uh, Southeast Alabama has the opportunity to grow. Uh, it's just amazing to me that when big manufacturers and stuff come into the state of Alabama, um, uh, Southeast Alabama has been last to, in, to be looked at. Luckily, in the last couple of years, we had a big project with FedEx who's moving in down in the Dothan area. And what I'm trying to tell everybody that <clears throat> if it's not Abbeville, it doesn't have to be Abbeville. It's a regional thing. Mm -hmm. Southeast Alabama is a community. We need to look toward any way we can assess any city or municipality or county to grow it helps all of us. So one of the things that I'm proud of and, and what we need to do is continue to, to come together as a regional, as a region, and yell real loud, and maybe Montgomery will listen to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my trips down to Abbeville, I learned how close Dothan was. I didn't didn't realize they were that close. So I'm glad to hear about this sort of consolidation in thinking and, and energy. That's really good. Uh, Abbeville is a, what I would call a quaint little town. Um, I was I was really, I couldn't, in the in that one day that I was there, uh, I didn't get a full feel of it, but um, but it was just it was yeah quaint is the word that comes to mind. How would you describe Abbeville to people who have never been to Abbeville or that part of the state? Well, that's just that it's a very quaint town, but it's also just everyone knows everybody and everybody gets along. Uh, we're also right in between us and Dothan is Headland, which is a a thriving community, which is growing real fast. And of course, that's also in my district. That's also in Henry County. And I support everything that goes on in the, the city of Headland, uh, realizing that the more that everyone around us gets, the better we are. But Abbeville is unique in the fact that uh, it's, it's been a community that's always uh, worked together and always uh, had the same ambition to, to try to thrive and go forward. And uh, we look down through the history and a lot of good people have come from Abbeville. Uh, some of them now coming back. Uh, we lost a lot of our population when we lost several plants in our in our city. At one time, I know we had four or five different plants or uh, textile companies and different stuff, and all that went away, and the, the city uh, sort of went down. But luckily, we still have a few things here that we can be proud of and just glad to have the, the people that we have around. We have, of course, Yellowwood is still here. Uh, they haven't left us. They're still here. We have other people in the community uh, that's here that helps out and makes sure that we remain one of the cities that can be reckoned with and have opportunity to grow. Let me ask you one quick follow-up. Uh, going back to Mrs. Taylor, uh, does the town of Abbeville commemorate her life in any way? 
um, since she's passed on? She hasn't. Uh, well, they do in a way, but not nothing that's um, citywide or nothing. Uh, her, she has her church is still here, her family is still here, and of course, the name mentioned is uh, all going to be always recognized by all members of the community. Uh, but a lot of people don't realize that when Reese Taylor's situation happened, <clears throat> and she did a documentary, and of course, my my tidbit was left out of the doc documentary. It was that was back in the forties and fifties, and uh, the first case that Rosa Parks worked through the NAACP was the case when she came down to work with the Risa Taylor case. And when she did that, uh, like I told them then, it was a, that rape was like a situation where uh, there was a sexual intercourse of a sense, uh, using, it, using it like that, but it didn't conceive a physical child. But I really believe that that case really uh, conceived a real fight for the civil rights struggle. The history behind that is her dad uh, just finally said, I, we were not gonna take it anymore. And he stood on his porch with a shotgun and said, that, you know, he's not going to take any more of this. And people started standing up behind that. And of course, Reese was brave enough to stand up. And the ironic thing is that once the case was went to the grand jury and denied, it wasn't just black people. It was white people that also got on board and took it to the governor and said, we need to, this happened and this needs to be addressed. And needless to say, it still didn't uh, get indicted. But these many years later, uh, that, that conception from that dawn is still standing firm because of Reese Taylor today. Yeah, her father, Josh, was uh, to follow up on what Representative Grimsley was saying. According to uh, Daniel McGuire, who wrote the the definitive book on Reese Taylor, the Reese Taylor case, as well as um, just the use of rape as a tool to terrorize black people, specifically black women, but black families. She said that uh, Reese Taylor's father actually spent. He started spending nights in the tree that was on their property with yeah. his shotgun because of the death threats they were getting. He would just go up there at night and stay there with that shotgun to make sure that nobody tried to do anything. Yeah, it's you know, I am, uh, you, you know, my you know, my history with uh, with Rosa Parks or not really history with Rosa Parks, but my my love of Rosa Parks um, and and her her story and, and the bravery that I mean, my God, uh, you know, and that that story, I'll never forget. Uh, there was um, I want to say it was some kind of award Oscars or something. Um, and and Oprah Winfrey yeah. uh, spoke about Reese Taylor. And I uh, at that time. And I, I just really kind of started using Twitter at that time. And I put something on Twitter about how what a fantastic uh, movie or TV show it would make to just track Rosa Parks and start with a Reese Taylor story um, and, and move through that era and, and demonstrate to people exactly what was taking place there. And uh, I mean, it got so much attention, uh, you know, I, I honestly, I kind of thought at some point somebody might create a TV show or a movie out of that. And because mm -hmm. it is a, it's a horrible, horrific story of, of violence against uh, women and black people uh, in that time. And a story of unimaginable bravery mm -hmm. uh, by some people. I mean, it, it's just you, you couldn't you couldn't write a script that would be believable uh, and, and you could just tell the truth. Uh, you know, it's just it's so crazy to me the, the way that that was. And I, I got to say, a lot of that history is completely unknown to the average Alabamian, um, which is a crime. And I wonder 
and really just kind of to both of y'all is, do you feel like, you know, we, we have a lot of talk of CRT now, you know, and, and, yeah. and all that with the bill, the idiotic bill is going to ban divisive concepts uh, being taught and stuff. Uh, does the, do you feel like that the way, because you talked about, Representative Grimsley, you talked about uh, how Southeast Alabama and Abbeville have been kind of forgotten uh, by the state when it comes to economic development and pushing things. How much do you think that the history not being taught and, um, you know, uh, an accurate history of black Alabamians not being taught has played directly into so many places like Abbeville and Lowndes County and all, all of these different places around the state being an afterthought among white politicians that run this state? You know, Josh, that's a great question because as you speak, um, or you might not know if you haven't, y'all need to get down and visit. The childhood home of Rosa Parks is still standing in Abbeville, Alabama right now. Mm. There's, a group, there's a group coming in now who are renovated to the status in which it was when she lived back in Abbeville. Uh, it's been there, it's been riding away, but it's still in, in, believe it or not, good condition. You talk about economic development, I mean, just the history of the fact to have something from Rosa Parks still standing and could be something that could be, you know, utilized as a, a, a tourist attraction or whatever. And not just, I'm using her for example, but Southeast Alabama is littered with, with historical facts. Uh, some of the lynchings that were taking place. Of course, you shouldn't use it to celebrate anything, but right. it shouldn't be forgotten. We need to make sure that the world knows that Southeast Alabama at one time was a, just like the rest of the South, but also down here with the history that we have in Southeast Alabama, there's a lot of history, but still, there was a lot of people that stood up and fought and, and went forward and made this place a better place. And that history that you're talking about should be expounded upon. And uh, the Civil Rights Trail lands here. We have a Booker T. Washington, I mean, the George Washington Carver Museum in Dothan that you can go and just trace the history of Blacks all the way from Africa. And that's some stuff that's never advertised. And those kind of things need to be done. But we also have children of of, of great people. I, I had a great-great-grandfather who, who, who developed an unincorporated town called Browntown. It still stands. And I go by, go through there just to see that he has several uh, hundred acres of land and how a black man did it back then is just unbelievable. But he had a school, a store, his wife was a midwife, he was a farmer, and he he had he was doing well, even at the turn of the century in the 18, turning into the 1900s, he did well. And it's just stuff that needs to be told. And I'm sure there are several other families. I don't use mine just because, but I know mine, that's the only reason I use it, but I'm sure there's right, other right. stories. Right. That could be told about, you know, blacks and that also the good thing about it is was able to work with some whites of good of goodwill and, and, and develop stuff here. So that's the thing about the history of this area. Uh, there was occasions where some whites worked with blacks and gave us the opportunity to do some stuff. And I'm sure that's around the world. You can see that. But that's the kind of stuff that I'm proud of in, in Southeast Alabama. Well, that's, you know, I, I think that specifically, though, uh, that there were some whites with goodwill. Uh, we don't want to teach that. Because if you teach that, then you know that it wasn't just the way that it was for everybody. And some people did know that it was wrong back then. And, you know, you can't just get by by excusing your, your ancestors. And uh, and so I think, yeah, we don't we don't want to we don't want to do that. Definitely. But I, listen, I, I you know, I appreciate you you coming in and, and doing this. I, and I got to say, too, whenever anybody mentions the, the town of Abbeville and this is just personal for me, I know I, oh, it's um, I go back to uh, my college days 
and hearing uh, late great Jim Fife from uh, on the Auburn Network screaming, "Hello, Abbeville, Alabama!" Every time Chris Porter dunked one on somebody's head uh, for the Auburn Tigers, and and you may not know, and if you don't, that's fine. But is Chris is Chris still around down there, or yeah. where is he these days? Chris is in Florida, and amazingly, I was assistant coach on that state championship team. We went to went to Birmingham and won. And me and Chris are still good friends. Uh, he's doing something in Florida. He's still working around the basketball arena. But Chris is doing fine. Chris is happy and doing real well. And when he comes to town, he does call me, and we check in with each other. But uh, you have to say that Chris was an outstanding athlete, and uh, he is still the pride of Abbeville. We still remember the days turning on the TV and hearing Fife. Scream that name, hello, Abbeville. It was yes. <laughs> uh, so great whenever he would do it, and I, and it's, it's great to hear about about Chris Porter. He was a he, he was such a part of a lot of people. You know, he came out of the blue, and no, you know nobody expected that from him. And it was uh, he was a lot of Auburn fans and a lot of people around the state who weren't even basketball fans at the time. They kind of latched onto that team and and to him. And, and I know he had some troubles and uh, and some struggles, and uh, and everybody does, you know. And I, it's yeah. it's really great to hear that uh, that he's still around basketball and is doing well so it uh and and i hope that uh y'all are as well down there and maybe hey maybe in this uh economic boom town uh, that we, we've created through uh, some of the federal spending from the biden administration maybe uh, abbeville will will pick some of that up as well and and kind of get the, some of the industry back into into abbeville and, and that surrounding area yes well i look forward to it josh thank you all Dave. right Thank, right, thank you, Representative Grimsley, uh, uh, joining us, and that uh, that was great. I really, really do appreciate that. I tell you what, we'll uh, let's slide out, uh, David. Yeah. And we'll come back and uh, wrap this thing up in just a minute. Alabama politics this week. Everybody, if you would uh, like an opportunity to interact with us here at uh, Alabama Politics this week, uh, we've got a great way for you to do that. Uh, shoot a question over to apwproducer at gmail.com. That's apwproducer at gmail.com. Anything about Alabama politics you want to know about, uh, I don't know, what, what everybody likes to drink or uh, where everybody likes to hang out or you know, whatever, whatever your question may be. Uh, what chances the Democrats might have uh, in the uh, the upcoming midterm elections? Uh, shoot us a question over at apwproducer at gmail.com. apwproducer at gmail.com. Thanks. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics this week. Um, real, real quickly, uh, we can do our... Uh, our normal things here where we tell you that if you have any questions or you'd like to get in touch with us or tell us anything, uh, you can uh, send us an email at apwproducer at gmail.com. It's apwproducer at gmail.com. Make sure you emphasize the W, capitalize it or something, or put it in bold. Uh, um, uh, in addition, uh, as we were speaking to uh, <laughs> uh, Representative Grimsley, we brought up Chris Porter and, you know, I we don't research everybody, you know, before we just off the cuff bring them up. And apparently right. he had, was arrested last year uh, on a sexual assault charge. I have no idea what the uh, the ending to that was mm-hmm. uh, and, and what what it ultimately occurred. Uh, so, uh, you know, I. Maybe he's not doing as well as we thought. Uh, so, uh, you know, or it could have all been a mistake. I don't know. Innocent yeah. until proven guilty. Uh, you know, it, yeah. 
Didn't know that beforehand. Did not want to misrepresent that we were trying to sugarcoat something that somebody had done. So right. uh, anyway, um, you know, one thing that I want to bring up, uh, and it's not necessarily Alabama politics, although some people, including our lieutenant governor, uh, have brought up this fact that uh, the Biden administration is responsible for your high gas prices because they've shut down the Keystone Pipeline. You know, they shut it down. They shut it down. If you just restart the Keystone, everything would be fine. <laughs> it must be so wonderful to have Republican voters because on your side because they will believe anything, anything that you tell them, apparently. The Keystone Pipeline is operational. The part that was shut down was a, a shortcut that was going to take those tar sand oils that were coming from Canada down to the Texas. That's where they were taking them. Uh, and it was just a shortcut is all it was. It was 8% complete, was not scheduled to be complete until something like 2023 or 2024, and was going to have no impact on our gas prices. All right? It's, they're shipping it to Asia. It's the Asian market oil that you're shipping over there. So it wouldn't have helped anybody do anything. It's nonsense. Stop believing dumb shit. I don't understand <laughs> what I've got to say. This is everywhere. You can go just Google it. Don't take, don't take my word for it. Google the damn thing. Look it yeah. up. Look up what's completed, what they're doing, what it would have done. Uh, there's, there's actual stories about this. You don't have to believe Tucker or whoever on TV. You can look this shit up yourself. Stop it. I, it's so, just... so just to recap, <laughs> your boy. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here your we go. boy, Big Willie, your boy <laughs> uh, is perpetrating a lie for political expediency. Uh, well, number one. <laughs> I believe your girl KIV is as well. Touche, uh, <laughs> touche. Uh, uh, you know, by the way, I saw the photos of uh, of of her meeting with the uh, with the Oakwood uh, uh, team. Yeah, uh, seems seems like everybody's having a nice time. Uh, it it's uh it's an interesting uh you know photo op is is the word that comes to mind. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's going to pop up in a lot of campaign material. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm happy for the young men. I mean, you know, to me this whole thing uh and 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 I, since we're since we're uh since we're doing uh I guess clarifications, I think it's fair to bring up that uh one clarification in this story that came to light after the column I wrote and after uh other covers that have been done is that the Oakwood, uh, the previous Oakwood Academy principal, apparently, according to the high school association, signed an agreement that stipulated that the team would not do what the team actually did, mm -hmm. which was to protest and forfeit. So that's a, that's a whole nother, you know, complicated layer to this whole, this whole discussion and debate that has ensued. But but saying all that, putting all that aside for a moment, fundamentally, this is about the kids. Yes. 
It's about the students. And and the only reason for them to participate in any league is for them to have a great experience that will hopefully add to their growth and development. So mm-hmm. to that extent, I'm very happy that they had the opportunity uh, to meet with the governor, uh, to talk with the governor. I hope that it is something that will add value to their lives as young men, and I'm sure it probably will. Mm-hmm. You know, but but again, for her purposes, as a photo op. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Hey, you know the, the other thing that I that I always think about is whenever uh, you know uh, somebody like Kay Ivy, and this, this is not a knock on Kay Ivy. I'm not, I'm not knocking her. It's not her fault. Uh, but whenever, whenever, I mean, she's not doing anything to help it, but it's not her not, uh, it's not her fault. Uh, but it, it, whenever they bring, you know, the Oakwood team that's filled with, with black kids, um, mm-hmm. or other, you know, uh, people that visit the state uh, who are minorities, um, I, I wonder, does it, does it make them uneasy to know that there's a, there's a statue of a slave owner out front? There's a statue of a guy that used to practice medicine on, you know, women without mm. anesthetics, but, you know, out, out front. Uh, is there is that, that we've got the segregation now, segregation forever, governor's portrait downstairs? You know, I mean, does any of that? Yeah, I just, I just wonder if it doesn't say, you know, did, I doubt did you, it. Did I you doubt see it. the slave owner out front when he came in? Huh? How about that? Yeah. You know, I mean, I I would assume, and I could be wrong, and this is not a slight against the Oakwood Academy uh, team or any other groups of black people that uh, that visit the governor, but uh, or or the capital, you know. But I would assume they don't even know. They're probably not even cognizant of, of the fact that those monuments are there, you know. And that's. Um, Hell, for years, I didn't know that there was a statue, uh, Confederate uh, tribute statue outside of the Madison County Courthouse, you know, in part because it was, obs- at least during the summer, it was completely obscured almost by a tree. That's <laughs> <Yeah, it's>, uh, <laughs> how proud they are of that. It's, yeah, uh, you know, so that was kind of uh-huh. weird. But, you know, uh, for years, we didn't know that thing. Many of us didn't know that thing was there. So. You know, I don't know. They probably they probably aren't even aware of it. But I think you raise a good point, which is that I wonder. And it would have been a good it would have been a good opportunity. And maybe who knows? Maybe they I haven't talked mm-hmm. to anybody associated with the team in a couple of weeks. So I don't know. But, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe they did were aware of some of that. And if mm-hmm. if they were, I'm sure it was quite a, a conversation piece for them. Yeah, And, um, you know, even yeah. if they didn't hear it until after they were leaving, I mean, that would have been uh, an excellent thing for them to think about as citizens of this state. What does it mean that their parents tax dollars mm-hmm. and one day perhaps their tax dollars are going in part to upkeep, you know, things that are as reprehensible as that? Yeah, you know, and I just, and you're right, 100%. But I was also just kind of thinking of it, you know, because I know, you know, I, I've known some some governors uh, and spoken with them, uh, you know, and, and some lieutenant governors. And, um, and, and I know some of those people are, you know, maybe embarrassed is, is too strong a word, uh, but at least slightly embarrassed whenever they have to. Uh, you know, discuss the placement of such things 
uh, you know, around them, you know, especially when people from out of state that they want to impress come in uh, and they have to discuss those things. And it's always it's always been curious to me, you know, how then they they justify. You know, keeping them, you know, and and this and the arguments that come on, you know, how, why do you why do you why do you try to justify it? Just take them down. You know, I mean, what the hell? I mean, they're just statues, you know. They're just portraits of people. So, I mean, I, yeah, just take them down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's, that is a great point. Uh, they're the executives of the state. They, they could exert that uh, right. But I don't think it's on the radar screen. And I mean, this isn't just about Republicans either. I mean, I, you know, like you, I've met um, probably every governor uh, since, um, probably every governor since Fob James, I think, Mm -hmm. I think. And, and I would imagine that it's just not on their radar screens and, and in their defense, you know, uh, I'm going to say that you don't really know that stuff unless somebody tells you, because how many of us even go down to the Capitol, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but being aware, particularly of that doctor whose name I can't remember, who performed, uh, who's, who's touted as sort of the father of gynecology Mm-hmm. Yet he did these, uh, you know, anesthetic free experiments on literally, it sounds like hundreds, if not thousands of, of, of black slave women. I mean, the, the fact that there's a statute in tribute to that guy, you know, I mean, you know, to me, that's like that would be like Nazi Germany putting up a statue of, you know, the, the guy who gassed, you know you know, millions of Jews or something. Yeah. I mean, that's just horrible. It's yeah. horrible. Oh, it is. It is horrible. It's, uh, you know, and, and, you know, to applaud his, his, the things that he learned, his, you know, his research and, and things, it, it, it is. And, and because that stuff was now, that stuff was very honored for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's reprehensible. Uh, it is. I mean, you look at the history of him, it, it is a hundred percent reprehensible. And, you know, I, to me, it just, it seems like, and it doesn't seem like it is, uh, what they're doing is that they're trading off this uncomfortableness that they feel for votes from people that are, that they have intentionally left ignorant of the history, um, you know, through the lost cause effort, through the, uh, you know, just whatever, uh, Jim Crow laws and, and the, the inherent racism that has been in this state for so long. They, they're, they're trading being uncomfortable and being slightly embarrassed on occasion, um, and knowing knowing that it's it's wrong with the with the people that they're honoring uh, with these uh, for votes from people that like that thing that like that stuff that like to think about those Confederate generals and their uh, you know whatever that they were doing and how heroic they were even though they couldn't tell you one single thing about them in most cases, right. um, but that's our heritage. Uh, quote unquote, that you don't know anything about. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it, it's, yeah, you know, that to me is the, is the trade off. And it's always been, you know, I, I've always questioned just why, why you would do it, you know, why, why you would sell out to that degree and, and, and do those things. But, you know, I'll tell you the result of that, of the CRT bills, the, all this other stuff of whitewashing of history is you end up with situations in which a white cop 
kills a black man, unarmed black man, a few feet from the house he shares with his elderly mother uh, as he's screaming for help from the neighbor next door. And that cop is still out of jail, uh, yeah. even after being convicted um, of manslaughter, even though it should have been murder and really was murder. Uh, I mean, you shoot somebody seven times who wasn't really threatening you. That's murder. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he um, it's Aaron Cody Smith, A.C. Smith, former Montgomery police officer. Uh, he was convicted more than two years ago now. Uh, he committed the crime actually six years, more than six years ago, February uh, 2016 and, uh, still out of jail, still out of jail on a bond as he continues his appeals. This one, uh, they, they allowed him to stay out uh, this time, even after the appeals court has overturned his most recent appeals because his attorneys told the court that they plan to appeal this to the Alabama Supreme Court. So they haven't plan done it to. yet. Yeah. They haven't done it yet. If they plan to do that. And so they're going to leave him out until that appeal runs out. So, you know, I assume that there is some court established limitation on the amount of time he has to file that appeal. Um, uh, because the, the ruling came down, I think three weeks ago. Uh, and so they will have some time uh, to file that appeal. I'm sure they'll run out the clock on that. Um, and then Judging by the speed with which the Alabama Supreme Court uh, heard his previous appeal, which was to have a judge recused from the case, this is probably going to stretch on for at least another year, year and a half, maybe two Mm. years. Mm. So we're going to talk about this man not going to jail. And hell, he may not ever go to jail. They may overturn the whole thing and leave him out, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is of and course. the longer, and by the way, the longer that he is not incarcerated, the more likely I think that scenario is. Yeah, uh, we're talking about ten years. It's going to be ten years. Yeah, you know, before this man potentially could go to jail uh, for this crime. Uh, I, I mean, it's, I, I, I don't know. Is, is there a, is there a, a reasonable person that believes this is being handled properly? I don't see how, when you consider how many people there are who are convicted, go to jail or prison, I should say, and then they have to work on their appeals from inside. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's routine. That's standard. Yes. What's what's the anomaly is this kind of situation, you know, so you have to question, you know, who is in the ear of the judges that are allowing this, you know? What makes this what makes this different? This guy's convicted. Yeah. He's not accused. He's yep. convicted. Yep. So you know, it's, what what gives him the standing to not be in prison when there are other convicted people filing appeals that are in prison? It it has been a shameful handling of a case from the very beginning. I mean, th- he has he has been treated so much differently than the average criminal, which is what he was charged with. Except by, I'll say this, except by Daryl Bailey, the DA in Montgomery. All right. Uh, He handled it the way it should have been handled from the very minute he got the case. Said he was not going to treat him any differently. And by God, he has not treated him any differently than any other case. Well, let me ask you this then. So this is such an egregious display of, um, in my mind, of a flouting of of the law and, and standard practice, 
who is it who 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 should bear the responsibility for challenging this? Well, and, right now a judge. Well, well, no, I'm saying, but it, it's a judge that's enabling it, right? Oh, he's oh, listen, Daryl Bailey has challenged it every step of the way. He's challenged it every single time that this has come up. He's challenged him to revoke the bond on multiple occasions. Uh, he has requested that the bond be revoked on multiple occasions. Um, he, matter of fact, the uh, after the appeals court, um, you know, denied the latest appeal, which was, by the way, a denial of their original denial. Okay, mm-hmm. the appeals court denied it. Then he, they asked him, they asked him to reconsider. The judge still left him out. While they reconsidered that, they took another six to nine months to reconsider their original denial, uh, then issued the opinion. After that happened, the day that it happened, Bailey filed uh, a motion uh, asking the court to revoke the bond uh, and and put him in jail. Uh, And the judge originally granted that and said they were going to do it. Then came back this week and said, well, they've indicated that they plan to appeal. So we're going to leave we're going to leave that bond in place. I mean, it's it's absurd. What's that? No, I'm asking. So what what is the prosecutor then? (laughs) Doesn't the prosecutor have some recourse in terms of challenging that decision? He has none. There's no way. The only person that would rule on that is the judge. And, you know, and so they've they've taken it to the judge on this. And see, this is the other problem that we have uh, in this case, is that this is a retired judge that was specially appointed by the Mm -hmm. Alabama Supreme Court. And so he's beholden to no one. Um, and, you know, I'll say in the judge's defense, he did impose a sentence that many people did not think he was going to impose. Nobody thought he was going to give him uh, uh, 14 years in jail. Uh, so, I'll, you know, I, that's the only defense I'll make of the judge, because this what's going on with this bond is just utter bullshit. I mean, it is absolute off the charts bullshit. Uh, I, you know, to leave that man out like you have. And to watch him intentionally manipulate this process, and they because that's what they've done. They've run the clock out on everything that they can run the clock out on to to stretch this out as long as they possibly can, uh, you know. And from the very start, you had uh, the mayor, who I friend of mine, uh, Todd Strange, like him a lot, but I, he was dead wrong, and I've told him to his face. We've had we've had literal shouting arguments over mm. his handling of this, okay? Because mm. uh, he was dead wrong from the beginning and left him on the payroll. Left him on the payroll until he was convicted. Four years. He pay, he was, he was got a paycheck from the city as, a, uh, as an officer in Montgomery for four years without ever doing anything. Mm. Sounds like uh, what was done up here with... Yeah, uh, doesn't it? With Darby. Yeah, yeah. and so he mm. received that for four years. Uh, down there, uh, d- d- not working. The and still on was still on the payroll like Darby, even after he was convicted. He, they let him resign, mm-hmm. which I'm assuming means he probably got to keep his retirement money. Uh, right. I'm I'm assuming that's what that means. Uh, so he resigns uh, from that finally after that amount of time. Still not in prison. Still not in prison. He's still out. He's still roaming no. around. <clears throat> It's just unbelievable, man. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And no, but no other person is treated like this. And that's the that's the nope. problem so many people have. If it had been the opposite, if Greg Gunn had shot A.C. Smith there on that street that night, where do you think Greg Gunn would be today? Man, he'd be under the jail or under the prison and, and perhaps on death row. Yeah. And, yeah. and let me say, I know a ton of Montgomery cops. And I know that a 
90% of them are are good people. You got you know you got three basic cops. You got the guy that wants to go in and change the world and goes into work every day trying to do great things and do good things. You got the dude who just wants to get a paycheck and he's going to do a good job, but you know he, he's not he's not having dreams of changing the world. And then you've got people that abuse it, you know. And I think that's what happened with AC Smith. Is he he got into this mindset of abuse and um, you know he abused it that night. He tried to coerce a person into a situation. That, that never should have happened. Uh, you know, it was fine for him to stop Greg Gunn and say, hey, what's going on? What are you doing out here? Uh, but it was not okay for him to put him up against a car, try to frisk him, uh, you know, and then when, when Gunn got nervous about the whole thing, take off and then try to tase him and hit him over the head with a baton and then ultimately shoot him because the man was fleeing from him, uh, okay? Um, and it just, it reeks. The whole thing reeks. And I know that there are police officers who agree with that out there. It makes me as a, and this seems to happen primarily to black men. So I'm speaking from that standpoint. It just makes me damn angry that these, that, that some of these cops believe that the solution to a fleeing black man is to shoot him. An unarmed black man, or even if he's armed with something, but it's not a gun, Mm -hmm. unless the guy has a gun, I don't see how you justify shooting anybody who's running from you. And even if he has a gun, I'm still not altogether sure that it's justifiable in most cases for you to shoot somebody who's not aiming a gun at you. Yeah. Yeah. No, listen, he, in this case, um, and I'll tell you, man, it, this is the other thing that gets me, uh, uh, and this is what kind of continue perpetuates this issue for police departments uh, out there is, um, you know, after it was over with, uh, Smith's claim was that Greg Gunn picked up a paint rolling stick because uh, his neighbor was a painter. Yeah. Uh, and he had some, uh, you know, equipment for painting laying on his front porch, and one of them was a rolling stick. And said he, he had picked this rolling stick up and was going to use it as a weapon. Well, there was some testimony and there has been some evidence presented that that stick at the crime scene was manipulated potentially by people who were trying to help out their brother cop um, to make it seem as though Greg Gunn was actually doing that. And uh, it was uh, the opinion of the DA's office and and, uh, Bailey, Daryl Bailey, that there was no way that he could have been holding that stick because he still had clutched in his hand his cap. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so he couldn't have been holding the two of them together in the way that was described there. So, and that's part, honestly, uh, weirdly enough, that's part of the appeal that's going through is that, uh, you know, they they made the claim that uh, the DA's office mentioned uh, that there was possibly a cover-up, attempted cover-up that failed. And so they're trying to, he's trying to get, Smith off on, on that little technicality. But, um, you know, that that happened with uh, Laquan McDonald in, in Chicago. I mean, the cops mm. literally went around to businesses confiscating uh, video footage uh, from yeah, security but, cameras. Yeah. And in his case, it was. Uh, <clears throat> in his case, though, um, it was much more damning. The evidence was much, oh, yeah. against the police was much more damning because. You know, what you could see, well, in the in the video that we saw, 
uh, coming from, uh, I guess, one of the police officers' cars, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, this guy, um, this uh, Mr. McDonald, was too far from a police officer to even be a danger. Yeah. And what he had in his hand was a knife. Yeah. So you got you got an array of police that were there. You got a man that looked like he was easily 10 feet or more away from the police. Mm-hmm. And then they're justifying shooting the ones that did that. I know all of them didn't shoot him, but, but, uh, but the ones who shot him were trying to suggest that he was somehow a threat to them simply because he was a black man with a knife. Yeah. yeah he, he never made a move towards them. Uh, you know, no, and, he was just and, standing and, there talking. Yeah. Yeah. And then one person fired and then a bunch fired. Um, and it's, um, uh, yeah, I mean, they, listen, they, they knew what they had done and that's yeah. the reason why they were going around, uh, confiscating the security footage, uh, uh from all those businesses. And it was just it, that, that sort of thing. You, you can't make two arguments. You can't make an argument that, well, this isn't, this isn't the example of all cops. And then, and then have these guys going out doing this stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. Trying to cover these things up for people that doesn't, that doesn't help. You know, if somebody does something bad and you know, it's bad and believe me. I have had these conversations with cops. They know. You, they, everybody knows. It, it doesn't work any different at a police department than it does at your job. You know that there's some dipshit at your job that shouldn't have that job. And it's the mm. same way in police departments. They mm. all know three or four guys on the force are like, yeah, that somebody shouldn't be here. They, nobody should be uh, should allow him to carry a gun. You know, mm. and, and, and they know it. They know mm. it going in. And they know that they just hope that they can keep these guys in check or that they can show up and calm things down at, at different places before things go off the rails for them. And they hope those people will move on at some point, uh, you know, and they do the best that they can, but they know, they know it uh, on these things. They know when these people do wrong, they know when it gives them a black eye. And if more folks would just stand up and say it, I get the code of silence and all that kind of thing, but man, at a point you gotta, you gotta stand up for yourself and, and the That's job right. that you're doing. Cause it's a tough ass job. And That's a lot right. of people like me, I want to respect the hell out of cops. I, I like having a cop to call when, when things go down, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I do respect police and uh, I, but I, I want you, <laughs> I want that to be the case for everybody. And, you know, I just want people to do the right damn thing. And I don't think that's too much to ask of people. Uh, Stone. Well, I respect I respect um, I respect police that are that are doing good policing. Yes, and I respect the idea of good policing. Mm-hmm. But but I'm but I'm very wary of just about all of them, unless unless I happen to know them personally. I'm very wary of just about all of them. Oh, I understand it, man. I, listen, I it's, I completely understand that. That's a very that is a very reasonable. Very, very, very reasonable position to hold as a black person in this country. I mean, and especially in the damn South, that's a hell. I mean, that's a better position than anybody has a right to to expect. Honestly, yeah. after the history, yeah. it yeah. really is. I mean, yeah. <sighs> all right. Uh, oh, uh, we didn't get to Mo Brooks. We want to get to Mo Brooks. Uh, you want to squeeze him in real quick, or yeah, maybe so. we should save that because it's still going to be news. All right. Okay. Well, don't worry about it. Don't read anything about Nemo Brooks for the next week. We'll come back next week to talk about him. Yeah. Yeah, y'all just don't. (laughs) All righty. Right-wing nut time. Uh, Right-wing nut is every Georgia Republican uh, that has voted for or sponsored uh, this bill in uh, in Georgia that would ban the use of COVID funds from going to any city— uh, that plans to uh, that would like to use those things 
uh, use the funds for giving homeless people shelter. Okay. There's mm. uh, there's several initiatives around, and there's a lot of actual uh, information and research behind this uh, that says using some of those uh, those funds or whatever federal funds you can find uh, for building permanent shelter for homeless people reduces the homeless population. Uh, obviously, uh, you know that goes without saying that it reduces right. it initially, uh, but also it reduces it long term. Uh, it is one of the more effective ways to do so. Uh, this bill uh, prevents them from doing that, and also also punishes cities that have a higher than state average uh, per capita population of homeless people. Uh, And it punishes them by cutting off grants and tax dollars that flow to those cities uh, through certain grants for certain grants and also cuts off money from the state going to charities and nonprofits in that in that city. So basically, this this sounds like basically a Republican legislature trying to find ways to undermine uh, Democratic strongholds like Atlanta that are yes. going to be most likely to have mm-hmm. problems with homelessness. That's yes, what that's it sounds 100% like. Hundred percent, what it is. Hundred percent, what it is. It's one hundred percent them them taking a shot at Atlanta because of the homeless population that has grown there, um, mm-hmm. and it is. Uh, and it's also very Republican in in the sense that it punishes you for a problem that or what they deem is a problem, but also then prevents you from solving the problem in the most effective way because it's not what they think you should do, you know. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's a yeah. very. Republican and it's also bill. and it's also patently it's got some real cruel elements to it, which to me is very much in line with uh, what we see from a lot of these. Uh, conservative republicans you know there's there's it's almost as though they take a certain amount of glee in making sure that they not only stick the knife in but twist it several times you know um being extra you know vulnerable pop i mean so ultimately you know whether you agree with the actions or not you know these are not actions designed to enrich someone like say a private prison company. Right. Okay. This is, these are actions that are designed to address a social problem that not only would help the, the affected individuals, but really has a, 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 a the, the ability of, of lifting up a, a, a an entire community, mm-hmm. the society, yeah. but they want, they don't want that. No. No, it's a, there's got to be wow. a business somewhere that they could give that money to, David. Come on. Come on. I mean, listen, how is Jeff Bezos going to get to the moon if we keep giving all of our money to homeless people? Okay. <laughs> how is that possible? Come on. Uh, you know? It's just, uh, no, you're right. It's, it's, you know, it's hard. It's cruel. But as I have been reminded many times by people, uh, the cruelty is the point. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. All right. Unless, uh, unless I'm missing something, I think we've given you. All that you deserve and all you could have hoped for. So great conversation with Representative Grimsley, man. Yeah, it was. It was a good conversation. It, uh, we had to get him back. I don't know why it's taken so long to get him on in the first place. So yeah, I, I thought he. I actually thought he had been on before. I, I guess I was confusing. Yeah, you, know, you get old. And all these things run together. You know. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, let's slide out of here. Till next week, y'all be safe out there. Peace. <laughs>